Hey, it's Scott Petrick. Welcome back to another edition of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I've watched seven training camp practices, including two in pads, and there's a lot to break down. Joining me once again to do that is Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. Dave, how are you? Scott, I'm doing well. The Olympics are uh, getting close to wrapping up here, so that's uh, taking a lot of our time here on uh, the morning show on Go on Channel 3 and uh, obviously, you know, big thing now, the uh, uh, COVID situation, uh, the Delta variant. So a lot to keep our eyes on besides Browns right now. But uh, I don't know. I, I, have you sensed a, a change at all in Berea or with the NFL when it comes to what's going on right now with COVID and the Delta? Yeah, that's interesting, Chad. Um, you know, the NFLPA released a memo or wrote a memo to its players in the last couple of days talking about they recommend to the NFL that there be daily COVID testing now for even the vaccinated players. And as of now, it's once every two weeks, right? So once every 14 days, um, vaccinated players and staff and the media actually um, have to test, have to test for the virus. And the union wants it to be every day for vaccinated as well as the unvaccinated. And, you know, the thought there is, the spread of the Delta virus is surging. Um, if you test a guy, let's say on August 1st, a vaccinated player, and he tests negative, and he winds up, you know, getting the virus on August 5th, then it's a 10-day window before he tests again. And obviously, the chances of him shedding the virus goes up greatly. So, you know, the daily testing worked a year ago for the NFL, right? They were able to play a complete season. And, you know, we've talked to J.C. Treader, the NFL PA president, and a lot of that was the fact that they were able to complete the season was because they had daily testing. You could catch positive cases early. You could stop outbreaks before they happen. So, you know, with all the data coming out about who's, you know, who's able to um, shed the virus, who's contagious, who can get the virus if you're vaccinated or not. Um, the NFLPA wants to make a big change, but as of last night, the NFL was not willing to make that change. So we'll see if there's a compromise um, or they go back to daily testing. But you feel like um, we're going to see more strict protocols kind of enforced here within the next month or so when they weren't, right? When we started this training camp not too long ago, um, it was really relaxed. The protocols were, had really been relaxed for those who've been vaccinated. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting. It did, uh, you know, just when you think we're moving forward, taking some steps back. So uh, hopefully we can get through this. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. But uh, let's move on to the Browns here. And uh, before we get into camp, let's talk about the big news. Nick Chubb, huh? Three-year yeah. deal? $36 million, something around there? Yeah, 36.6, 20 million guaranteed. You know, we spent a lot of time in the offseason talking about possible extensions. And it felt like the closer we got to training camp, that Chubb would be the first guy because there was a greater sense of urgency because he's entering the last year of his rookie contract, right? Baker Mayfield signed through 2022. So is Denzel Ward because of the fifth year options that the Browns picked up um, in April. But Chubb didn't have that fifth-year option because he was a second-round pick. So it made sense to lock him in. 
Um, a couple of quick points on it. Number one, I, I think the Browns are smart by keeping it to three years. Uh, we know that running backs have a shorter shelf life in this league than many positions, and I don't think it's smart from an organizational standpoint to be locked in to a running back, even if he's as great as Nick Chubb for five or six years. So I think the Browns are smart to go three years. And it's not a lose for Chubb because if he stays healthy and stays productive, three years from now, he can sign another big contract, right? He'll be 29 or four years from now because he's still got a year left on this deal. But he'll be in position to possibly sign another big season contract. But I think that's a win for the Browns. And the 12.2 average per year only ranks sixth in the league. And to me, Nick Chubb is a better player, a better running back than sixth in the league. And I think it points to the Browns, you know, being whatever, smart slash thrifty. And Nick Chubb really wanting to stay. And he made that clear. And I think, you know, if he wanted to hold out for the last dollar and hit free agency, he could have. Um, but he didn't. He wanted to stay. And I think he took a little bit below market value. Hey, Scott, I, I know we're uh, live here on this podcast. Whatever you're doing just now, keep doing that because it sounds better. Maybe it's just on my end, but it was a little muffled earlier. Oh, okay. We'll do. I'm not sure <laughs> doing anything different, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something's uh, – yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just on my end. Right. But, uh, well, anyway, you know, with Chubb, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it's the sign that – we've kind of talked about this, right, as the, the weeks and months have gone on that it would be kind of the domino effect. So what, what kind of effect do you, do you think we'll see any more signings here before the start of the season? Yeah, that's really interesting, Chud. To me, Baker Mayfield's the next guy up, right? You, the Browns could re-sign Ronnie Harrison, the safety, who's entering the last year of his contract. Why Teller, the right guard? There's been a lot of discussion about him. I think the Browns want to see another year out of Teller before um, deciding whether or not to pay him big bucks. So I think it comes down to Baker Mayfield. And I've kind of gone back and forth. For a long time this offseason, I thought Baker was going to get a big extension um, either before training camp or right at the start of training camp. Then there really wasn't any discussions, um, even into the last week or so. So I kind of was hemming and hawing. I think it's about 50-50 whether Baker gets a deal done before the season starts. I would probably take the yes that he does um, just because I think the Browns, we talked about it. I think the Browns are convinced he's the guy long-term. I think they have the cap space. I think they want the, con- the salary cap certainty of having your quarterback signed. Now there's variables. What Josh Allen does in Buffalo, what Lamar Jackson does in Baltimore, I think have an impact on Baker Mayfield's um, contract negotiations. Uh, but I would not be surprised at all if we saw something happen with Baker before week one. And then Andrew Barry, the GM, said, hey, we're not dogmatic. If we want to sign something, if we'll just negotiate into the season. And, and that's different than some teams. The Steelers don't like to do that. The Bills GM said they will not continue discussing with Josh Allen after the start of the season. So it, it could linger into September. Um, but I would not be shocked if all of a sudden the talks heat up and something gets done with Baker Mayfield. Scott, I was thinking the other day, man, and, you know, I, you and I are not guys that like to pat each other on the back yeah, or, or yeah. our own back, right? I mean, we just – we don't usually do that. But, you know, people do that on Twitter, and I think, you know, we have to at some point just acknowledge that if you listen to this podcast, I believe you 
you predicted that Chubb would would sign his deal. You also said there would, would Sheldon Richardson would would not come back with the Browns. I believe I told everyone Aaron Rodgers would be back in Green mm-hmm. Bay. I mean, hey, you listen to this podcast, you're getting the stuff uh, before it happens, my man. Blind <laughs> <laughs> squirrel. No, um, yeah, you're right. And the Chubb thing, you know, the Chubb thing made sense to me. The only the only question I had in my head was, you know, we all know the Browns front office is, I don't know if analytics driven is too, is too strong, um, but it pays a lot of attention to analytics, right? It's analytics heavy, let's say, and running backs getting a second contract goes against a lot of analytics and you want to save your salary cap space for other guys. And we know the wear and tear that running backs absorb. We know, you know, after some running backs get big paydays, they fall off a cliff. So the Browns made an exception with Nick Chubb, and I think he's worth that exception, and I think it sends a great message to the rest of the team that, hey, this guy does all the right things. He's a model teammate. We're going to reward him. But until they did, I think there was a bit of a question of, are they going to go against their quote-unquote core principles? Um, I thought they should. I understand the argument that says, hey, no, we can go find another running back cheaper. But I just think Nick Chubb is a special case. And I appreciate and applaud the Browns for making an exception for this special player. Yeah, they certainly did. Speaking of special, how about just the backfield in general? I mean, this is the best backfield in the NFL, right? And and you guys talked with Kareem Hunt the other day. I think was it just yesterday, the day before. And, uh, you know, his attitude is just – incredible right now and I think partly because you know he knows he's fortunate to be where he's at yes right I I think you're right about Kareem right there's a the Browns gave me a second chance it's my hometown team he thought he might have been done with football right after the off-field incidents um so I I think he is appreciative he said hey I want the ball more just like every running back wants the ball more but he said it with a smile he said it like that's a given but I love the situation I'm in he likes playing with Nick Chubb, they develop a real close bond between the two. And really, the only – and yes, to answer your question, they are by far the best running back tandem in the league. You know, to me, Nick Chubb is a whatever, top two, three, four back. Kareem Hunt is probably a top 10 or 11 or 12 back. Uh, you just don't see two guys of that caliber in the same backfield together almost ever. Um, but it's their personalities that make it work. And Kevin Stefanski, you know, readily admits it. These, in order for them to coexist and keep each other fresh, because that's what they did last year. You know, they rotated. Chubb would get, you know, some carries early, and then it would go to Hunt. Or one of them would always be fresh in the fourth quarter and kind of take over the game. you got to be unselfish to be willing to do that. And there's an unselfishness to both players. There's a team-first attitude to both players. And the Browns have really found something unique um, with that tandem. I had uh, some friends had a debate the other day, and I, I, I want to throw this at you. If you could only choose one guy to keep and the other guy had to go between Ward and Teller, who would you choose? I, I would take Denzel Ward, and I would not even think about it. Um, to me, the cornerback position is so much more important than right guard. And let's, we can, let's take right guard of it, out of it for a second. The cornerback position – 
I don't know, it's probably top three positions in the league, quarterback, pass rusher, corner. Um, and I think you can make an argument and have a debate between cornerback and defensive end pass rusher. Um, I, I just think it's in a, in an incredibly important position. And I think Denzel Ward is a top, whatever, top 10 corner, top five corner in the league. Really the only concern with him is his injury history, which hasn't been severe, but it's been three or four games a year for his first three years. And, you know, I get why Teller had a dominant run blocking year a season ago. I get that. I also think that you can put somebody else in right guard on this line with Conklin and Treader and Detonio and Wills, and you're not going to see the steep drop off that you would if you replace Denzel Ward with X player. So um, I, I think it's Denzel Ward and you know, I, I, I'm telling you this, Judd. I fully expect Denzel Ward to get an extension here, and it'll be 17 to 20 million dollars a year. You know, whether that's this year or next year, I think that happens. I'm not convinced why Teller gets an extension here. I think he's priced himself, or come close to pricing himself, out of the Browns' um, range because they have to pay so many other quality players. Yeah, I think that they think they can find a suitable right guard to fill into that spot. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe Teller's an all-pro this year, and they figure, hey, we got to sign this guy, and then they make it work with other salaries across the line. Um, I, I just don't see the Browns spending big dollars on a right guard. Well, and I agree with you, but at the same point, though, we've also seen when offensive lines go down, the ship sinks. Yeah, yeah but I'm not – I'm not saying don't spend money on the offensive line. I'm saying don't spend money on all five guys on the offensive yeah, line. Yeah, right. Right? And if well, you can't. Have, right, exactly. And if you're going to have to give up a spot, I, I think it'd be right guard that I gave, you know, that I kind of skimp on, so to speak. You know, now if, if they, who knows what happens this year. Um, you know, J.C. Treader's making big money. Joe Batonio's making big money. Jack Conklin's making big money. You know, do they shift some money around? Do you let Cutter go after the season and find a different center and allocate that money to Teller? I mean, there's ways that they could make it work. I'm just, I'm just not sure that happens. So you mentioned the three positions, quarterback, cornerback, and pass rusher. What about left tackle? Does left tackle not bounce from one of those? Well, I mean, quarterback's number one, certainly. But does, does, does left tackle bounce either of those other two out of the top three or no? Yeah, I, I think it's four, Chad. Uh, you can obviously make an argument that it belongs higher. Um, and, and, you know, and today right tackle is almost as important as left tackle because guys like Miles Garrett go back and forth from side to side. You got to be able to block both edges. But I would still put left tackle ahead of right tackle. It usually doesn't get the same help that the right tackle does. Um, but it, it, it's a tough argument, right? Now, I guess it depends. Where you focus at? So much of my focus this offseason has been on defense because the Browns have really overhauled it. So I've concentrated on that. Um, it's tough, you know. It can. It's a tough discussion because you can probably win with, you know, average corners if you make up for it somewhere else. If you score a billion points, if your left tackle gets your quarterback killed, it's hard to live in the NFL. So you know. Maybe you're right. Maybe that becomes number three. I don't think you can live without pass rush in the league. 
Um, so then, you know, it follows that you could say pass protection would be next in the line of importance. But there are analytics out there and studies that say, hey, corner in, in coverage, let's say, is more important than pass rush, right? Because if you cover well, your pass rush will, will succeed, right? If you cover long enough, your pass rush is going to get there, where if you rush the passer well enough, your coverage can still break down, right? There's these studies that are out there. So that's mm -hmm. why it, it's kind of, it's neck and neck for me at that spot. So that's why I had them, I kind of lumped them together. Um, and I still give a little nod to pass rush defensive end, but it's a real good discussion. And yes, left tackle is incredibly important. How are things with pads on in camp? Big difference? Uh, pads popping? Is it more relaxed? Yeah, no, it's not relaxed. Um, you know, there's so many drills, and you've been out there, Chad, right? That got, that the teams can't do in without pads, right? You can't do the one-on-one -on -one blitz protection, which is might be my favorite drill, where the running back or tight end lines up, and you get a linebacker running at him, and it's they collide, and can the running back slash tight end keep the linebacker away from the quarterback, right? And I saw that for the first time. Tuesday when the pads came out. You can't do that in show. Um, offensive, defensive, pass rush. You can still do it without pads, but it's not nearly the same. And there's no physicality to it. Inside run drills lack the same physicality in, real, in reality, right? Because otherwise, it's, it's just not the same. Because you don't have the pads when you play football and when you run the ball inside, everybody's got pads and alignment going at each other. So there's a lot more you can do. The intensity goes up. Um, I think the, it goes up with the players, too. You can see them raise their level and raise their games. And the other difference is in the first four practices, it's, you know, it's kind of that acclimation period that they adopted a year ago. So just the pace of practice is slower. There's more walkthrough to it, more installation. You know, some drills are – kind of run at 75% or 75% speed. And it's tough to even tell if the defense is trying to stop the offense because you're just kind of going through the motions. A lot of that disappears when you put the pads on. Um, there's a lot of red zone drills, red zone work. It's almost all the Tuesday's practice was in the red zone. And that's exciting. There's a lot on the line, right? You see guys score touchdowns. We're going to see goal line come in. And you need pads for that. So – yeah, there's been a change in the last couple of practices. There's no doubt about it. Defense against offense. How are we looking here? Who's, uh, who's looking better? People always like to analyze that. And, you know, and, and when we do that, does it mean anything at this point? Well, I mean, I, I, think there's, I think it's worth noting, and I think especially worth noting is it's good. It's, it's a good battle between the offense and the defense. And, and I've been in a lot of training camps, and you can't always say that, right? You can – there are plenty of times where the Browns, mostly due to terrible quarterback play, couldn't move the ball, right? And it was the defense dominated just because the offense was so bad. Well, obviously, that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's not the case anymore. We know the offense is good. We know the offense is bringing back all 11 starters, even if, you know, OBJ hasn't spent much time, if any, in team drills. Um, we know the offense is really good. And we know that the defense was overhauled so it would – you know, get up to that level. And we've seen that at a lot of different stages throughout this training camp. And I mentioned that red zone battle. 
And the defense won that day. And Baker Mayfield in the first team offense won two four-play series without a completion. And it caused Baker to get really frustrated. Um, but that's a good sign for the defense. And it wasn't just the offense played poorly. Kevin Stefanski said, hey, I was really impressed with the tight coverage, which is what you need in the red zone. So guys on both sides of the ball are making plays. And I think that's a really good sign for the team moving forward. And one last point on the defense. We talked about pass rush. Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney have spent a lot of time in the backfield. And they're going up against Jack Conklin at right tackle and Jedrick Wills at left tackle. And I think those guys are both good players. Obviously, Conklin's an all-pro. Jedrick Wills is in his second year and hoping to take a big step. Um, but he was good in pass protection a year ago. And to see Clowney and Garrett have the success that they've had to this point, um, I think really is a positive sign for the season because if Clowney stays healthy and looks like he is right now, I think we know what we're going to get from Miles Garrett. Um, then this Browns defense can start to talk about dominating because if you have two ends making plays like that, um, it's tough to stop. That's great to hear. How about the secondary? We spent a lot of time in the off offseason saying that that was where you were going to be – your most focus was going to be on the secondary. Yeah, a couple of quick points. You know, injuries have played a role at safety. Ryan Harrison Jr. is – out the last few days with a hamstring injury. Grant Delpit, coming back from that Achilles, he was kind of on an one-day-on-one-day-off routine. Um, he's yet to be in pads, so they back-to-back -back days off. I saw his upper leg wrapped, which makes me think that it's not just the rehab from the Achilles, that there's something else that the Browns are being careful with. Um, obviously, still early, right? We're six weeks away from, uh, I guess, five-plus weeks away from the opener in Kansas City. Um, but at some point, you need to see Grant Delpit get out there in team drills, put on the pads. Um, hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. And then, you know, you look at that cornerback spot, right, which might be the best position battle in camp, Greedy Williams versus rookie Greg Newsom the second. And the good news for Greedy Williams is that Kevin Stefanski declared him good to go. And that means he's allowed to practice in pads. And he was out there yesterday in team drills. Now, they haven't done a full-on tackling drill, but there is increased contact, and there's no restrictions with Greedy Williams coming off that lost season a year ago with the shoulder injury. So that's a good sign. Now, before they got in the pads, um, you know, they're still doing drills. Greedy gave up some long passes. And I don't know if that's rust from not having played a year ago. I don't know if it's being too aggressive on double moves, um, you know, needs to hone his technique. But it stood out because he gave up some deep completions. And I have not noticed the same thing about Greg Newsom the second. Now, I will say Williams has spent more time with the starting defense. So he's working against the starting offense, which, you know, you always have to keep that in mind when you're evaluating guys. Um, but, you know, I would not be surprised to see Greg, or Greg Newsom make a push here and wind up in that starting lineup by week one. Um, you know, it always felt like it could go that way because, you know, that's what happens when you draft the guy in the first round. But I do feel like Greedy, and I know it's early, um, but it feels like Greedy has left the door open there a little bit. Any other injuries to be concerned about? 
Um, you know, nothing huge. Uh, Tony Fields, the second, the rookie, um, fifth round linebacker out of West Virginia. He had a left foot injury in um, OTAs that caused him to miss most of the offseason. Now he's got a right foot injury that he hurt when they reported back for camp. He's in a boot. Um, you know, it feels like maybe this causes him to go on IR for the year. Um, might be premature, but, you know, when you haven't seen a guy practice at all and you're getting into August, it feels like that's where it's going. Um, I, I thought the Browns caught a big break with middle linebacker Anthony Walker Jr. I saw yeah. him limp off the field Monday, Chud, and, you know, he's holding the back of his knee in the, tra- you know, the athletic trainer. They do the thing where they hold their foot and they kind of wiggle it and, you know, to get a sense of the strength of the ligaments, I want to say. And he did a twist in – I don't think Walker yelled, but you could see the look on his face. I was like, oh, this is not good. And then they walked inside. Well, the next day, he's out there. Now, he's not practicing. He's got a wrap on the leg, but that's it. It's a wrap. It's not a heavy brace. He's not going to need surgery, according to Kevin Stefanski. That's a big sign because the Browns signed him to be their middle linebacker, right, their signal caller, kind of steady that ship in a position that's got a lot of unknowns and uncertainty. So it's not great that he got hurt, but I think it's huge that he's not going to need surgery. And then it's not a great sign that receiver, rookie receiver Anthony Schwartz has got a hamstring that feels like it's lingering because we also saw him miss minicamp because of it. Now he's fast, and you want to be careful with those super fast guys in their soft tissues, but I'd like to see him out there a little more. Then the last one is Tack McKinley, the defensive end, has been dealing with an illness for the last few days. Um, It would just be like this. It'd be nice to see more of him. Because, again, he's new, free agent signing. Um, you want to see how he kind of fits with Garrett and Clowney. Without picking an obvious guy like maybe Baker or Miles Garrett, what guy has kind of stood out so far that, I don't know if I want to say surprises you, but has maybe been the standout of camp so far? Is there, is there someone that could possibly be an answer to that? Yeah, I got to go with Donovan Peoples-Jones, the second <laughs> receiver, Chud. And, and I'm glad you brought it up because I really wanted to talk about him a little bit. Um, I was kind of what I was guessing you might say him. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling you, Chad, I was thinking about this last night. I, I don't know if I would call him the MVP of the first week of camp, but I think he's certainly the offensive MVP. Um, you know, I don't know how he stacks up with Miles Garrett. It's tough. Um, but I might even give the edge to Donald Peoples-Jones. I think he's been that good. And he felt like a guy that was – a top candidate for year two breakout. It felt like that because he was good last year, but had really limited opportunities, right? We flash back to that Cincinnati game where he caught the winner. He had never caught a pass in the league before that game. And that was week seven. Yeah. I think he finishes with 14 catches for the year, but it felt like there were big catches. And then Baker kind of unsolicited during the offseason says, Hey, Donald Peoples Jones is in great shape. And you just kind of got this feeling that, Hey, you know, maybe this kid's really coming on, highly recruited, you know, grew up in Detroit, highly recruited coming out of high school, like one of the top recruits in the country, winds up at Michigan, has a disappointing career at Michigan, and part of it's his fault probably, part of it's not his fault. Um, they had issues at quarterback, they had issues on the offense. Um, falls to the sixth round, 187 overall, despite running a 4 40 
despite I think his vertical jump is like 44 and a half inches. Like he's an explosive athlete. And to get a guy like that at 187 feels like a steal. Um, but you wonder, you know, okay, why did he fall that far? Right. But he's a smart guy. Um, you know, he's quiet. I spent, and I had an interview with him and there was a little bit of pulling teeth aspect to the interview. Nice kid. You can see smart, um, student of the game, likes to study film, all those things. Everybody you talk to about him says great things. Um, he was not in any kind of mood to open up to me. Now he's nice, but just, you know, wasn't super forthcoming. But I'm telling you, Chad, this kid has made plays just about every day. And the big plays, and I'm just going to tell you about Wednesday, with the tape on this Thursday morning. Wednesday's practice, off the top of my head, he runs a double move and catches a 60-yard touchdown from Baker, and he beats cornerback A.J. Green on a double move. And side note, the Browns are running a bunch of double moves. So defenses have to be aware of that because they're looking to catch him on the short thing and go past him. Um, he, in a punt coverage drill, he's playing gunner, strips the punt returner, picks up the ball, and scores. You know, it just shows you that he's taking every place, every rep seriously. He, the day before, ran an out route, and Denzel Ward was all over his back, and he still made the diving catch, right? A low, you know, low ball to the outside, goes and makes the catch. On Wednesday, he's running a comeback. Baker throws a high ball. He jumps reaches his two hands up in the air and grabs it like it's nothing. And he makes a ton of catches in traffic that look like hard catches. So I'm telling you, this guy is coming on. Um, you know, there's a battle for that, for the reps. It's number three receiver, right? You have Odell Beckham Jr. You have Jarvis Landry. And then you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Richard Higgins, Daryl Hodge, Anthony Schwartz. Well, it's only a week of camp, but to me, Donovan Peoples-Jones is – really making a strong case to get the bulk of the reps at that third receiver spot. Um, I'm going to have a story posted either later tonight or early in the morning, early tomorrow morning about that interview I had with him talking to the receivers coach about him. And I just think he's going to get better. Chad, he's got strong hands. He's got good size. It takes him a little bit to get going from a speed perspective. And I think we saw that on some, the return game last year when he was asked to return kicks. He's kind of got build-up speed, but once he gets going, he's as fast as a lot of players in this league. He can run by you. Um, guys rave about his preparedness and his intelligence. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's my camp MVP to this, to this point, at least on offense. And I think not only that, right? you see guys flash for four or five practices. It's more than that. I think this portends well for this season and beyond. When you talk about Okay, who's going to be a Brown starting receiver in 2022, 2023? I, you know, I hate to get ahead of myself, Chad, and you know that about me, but it feels like Donovan Peoples-Jones could be one of those guys or will be one of those guys. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day we'll be saying, man, this offense, Chubb, Hunt, OBJ, Landry, Baker, all these guys, Peoples-Jones. <laughs> I don't think that's – I don't think that's crazy. And I think we're going to see more three receiver sets this year. And you can picture Odell on one side, split wide, Peoples Jones on the other side, split wide, which means you have two guys that can get deep, right? They both proven that in this league. And then you have Jarvis Landry in the slot. In the slot, yeah. So much room 
for Jarvis Landry over the middle and underneath. Um, you can really do a lot if you're the play caller with those weapons. How about this? If Baker Mayfield, you know, you know, in uh, school you used to pick teams, you're out on the, you know, recess, yeah. like, you know, hey, I'll take pet track, you know, <laughs> first. Um, if Baker Mayfield's standing there and he's picking his team, and, and he's got to choose between OBJ and Hollywood Higgins. Who's he taking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Chud. That's a great question. <laughs> it really right? I, I tell you this. I mean, I'm, for me, it's a no-brainer, right? You take OBJ. I think, yeah. Baker, I think Baker would have an internal discussion. And <laughs> I'll tell you this. For the last two years, it would have been Richard Higgins because I think the disconnect – Disconnect might be strong, but the lack of the ideal chemistry between Baker and Odell was obvious, and they both admitted it, and they're both working to correct it. That's why they spent time together this offseason. The last two years, it would have been Higgins. The hope, and for this offense to be as dynamic as it can be, Baker better pick OBJ. I love it. I love it, man. I, I'll tell you that the, the things that we are going, the themes that you and I are going to continue to talk about as the season goes on that I want to watch play out. It's going to be, and, and this is for everybody, right? Baker and, and Odell. It's not like we're making something up here. Right. I mean, I, but the other one I'll, I'm going to want to really pay attention to is, is that you feel, and I don't, I agree that they're going to pass more, but I think we kind of disagree on identity where you feel it's going to be pass identity. Whereas I think it's, uh, r- more based around Stefanski's history as a running guy. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting to follow that one. I- I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, you're, you're right, Chud. And we did have that discussion, I think it was last week. And, you know, when they make the commitment that they do to Chubb, um, it makes me question my, my thought there, right? It's like, okay, they're spending <laughs> big bucks. They're already paying, you know, Kareem Hunt good amount, right? He's making $12 million over two years on the extension he signed a year ago, it, it, it does signal that, hey, they're not getting away from the run game. I, I just think maybe that remains their identity, but I do think we're going to see at least a shift toward more passing, at least early in the games, um, to set the tone and, and really to get big leads and then let, you know, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney start to hunt and then turn the turn the run game over and just eat clock. Like I could see that being the recipe for success this year. It's amazing though, man. I was just thinking about this morning. I, I was saying about Baker and how I just, you know, I keep thinking what could derail this team? Cause everyone assumes they're going to win double digit games and be back in the playoffs. I'm like, what could derail it? And the only thing I can think of is Baker just not getting it done and, and having a regression. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would that might do it, Chud, but I think the offense around Baker in the defense, the improved defense, is so good that I don't think Baker needs to be great for them to win 10 games. I really don't. I think he can play average football, and this team will still win games. Now, Yeah, you've said that. Yeah. Now, that's not ideal, obviously, right? Especially yeah. if you pay him, you know, $40 million a year. Um, but – I, I, I will say this. They're, they're not going to go where they need to go and want to go if Baker isn't good. And that means they're not going to win a division if Baker's not much better. Um, 
if Baker doesn't play like he did in the second half of last year and makes drives, right? If he regresses, they don't win the division. They don't go to the AFC championship game. They certainly don't go to the Super Bowl, right? So I agree, but I, I think Baker just playing average and taking a step back probably doesn't, quote-unquote, derail the season. In, in my mind, Chad, it's injuries. That's, like, that's the one thing that can derail this season is – Boy, you're – Good point. Couple we, of injuries, you know? we did we did talk about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You're right. It, that would be number one. You're right about that. Injuries. Good point, man. I agree with that. Uh running out of time here. Boy, I mean, we could do this forever, but uh real quick, if you could do it real quick, uh just an update on the kickers. Yeah, it, you know, Parky got off to a bad start with one for five in the first field goal um drill. Has not missed since. So I want to say it's twelve to twelve or eleven to eleven since. Um and Chase McLaughlin, the guy in competition, has only missed one of those 11 or 12. So, you know, I, we have to report it. It was, you know, it was egregious how bad the first field goal um, drill was for Parkey. But it's a long camp. It's a long preseason. It's settled in, it appears. Now, if he goes one for five on Friday, then, um, you know, we'll be talking about inconsistency. But it has settled down after what seemed like a uh, – Red flag early. So what's next? Orange and brown. I mean, I know there's practices, but the next kind of landmark thing, orange and brown practice on Sunday, right? Yeah, it won't, it's not quite a scrimmage. You know, it's a glorified practice. They'll do some team stuff, you know, move the ball period. So that's always fun to watch. At the stadium will be cool. Um, you know, I don't know how many fans will be there. The low bowl is going to be open, I would expect. You know, the weather's supposed to be good. It's Sunday at noon. I think you'll see a good number of fans down there, which will be fun. Um, and then once you get through that, then it's really starting to ramp up for the start of the preseason right there in Jacksonville a week from Saturday. And then you get into the rhythm of a game every week, at least for three straight weeks. So, you know, you're looking for any kind of, any kind of mile post or, uh, you know, in training camp, right? Cause it's the dog days and it's starting to feel long, um, having another team to play and then they'll practice against the Giants at the week after. Um, those break it up, some for the players and especially for us in the media. All right, well, that's it for me, man. Enjoy uh, the rest of the weekend, and uh, pretty soon we're going to be talking about uh, breaking down some film of games. No kidding. Chud, thanks so much for joining me again and the time. I really enjoyed the discussion, and we're going to be doing this every week because there's going to be so much to talk about. So. Thanks again, Chad. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Thanks.